Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Just to start off then, hands up if you have got a Facebook account. Pretty much everyone, I think. Okay, now just, just to gauge what you think about Facebook, what did it feel like when you had to fill in the bit where it said your relationship status? Just have a quick chat with the person next to you. What, what, did you, what, were you, what was it going through your mind when you had to fill in your relationship status part? Just have a quick chat. Okay. Just waiting on the, the words as well. Anyone feel brave? They want to share what it felt like when they had to put in their relationship status? Anyone want to say anything? Ollie? <laughs> so I don't think Ollie actually uh, did anything. Congrats, by the way. Is yours, your status has just changed. Is that right? Great. Uh, Olo just got engaged, by the way, just in case <laughs> people are just cheering the fact that he's Olo. Um, did anyone else, what, what did it feel like when you had to do that? Anyone else want to say anything? Feeling brave? Couldn't care less, why? Not something you particularly bothered about. Good. Um, yeah, we've got, if you want to go to the next one. Now, for, yeah, it's there. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah, for some of us, it's not something that we're bothered about. Some of us, it's quite intrusive. But actually, what Facebook has done by putting on this relationship status, it's really emphasized this whole sort of obsession that we have with our relationship status. Who we are is defined by whether we're going out with someone, whether we just broke up with someone, whether we're single, whether we're it's complicated, whatever that means. Um, it's something that, as in the world's eyes, in society's eyes, it's something that defines us. And uh, it got me thinking about what, what is it that, that society tells us about relationships. And I thought, actually, it's a real mixed bag. You know, there's not actually a set sort of way of living or a set sort of status that you should have when it comes to relationships. For me, when I was at school, it was all about having a girlfriend. I had to have a girlfriend, no matter what. I must be going out with someone. However, when you leave school and you get a job or you go to uni, it's like, no, no, no. You don't want to go to anyone out with anyone now. Don't be tied down. You know, live, live a little. Uh, be single. Get out there. Um, but then you get older and you're like, oh, actually, no, no. I want to, I want to settle down now. Uh, but not too sure about marriage. That's a fairly big commitment. Let's just make sure we can, you know, at least live with each other first. But then. Kids come along and you're like, oh, should we get married, shouldn't we? Do we need that security? But what does marriage mean anyway? It's just a piece of paper, right? What if it gets really hard? What if it then stops working out, uh, start, stops to be going as well as it used to? Should, should we get divorced? Should we carry on? You know, it's better to be happy, happy divorced than unhappy married. These are all the things that, that our society tells us to believe. And uh, there's no wonder Facebook included that phrase, it's complicated. You know, for me, I think it should have been single and it's complicated. Married and it's complicated. 
Because relationships are really hard and relationships can be really, really fragile. And within all this, within what Facebook were doing, it was really pointing to two things, two desires in our hearts really. First off, we have a real desire for relationship. And then secondly, we have a real desire for sex. And this, this preach is talking about, the title of it is Sex and Status. And those two things we're going to really focus on. In um, the film there, Social Network, real pivotal point in that film when they decided to include that bit about relationship status. It took Facebook from being yet another social media site to this thing that's now got billions of people around the world who've got accounts. It was that thing that made it distinctive. But as, as we've been looking at this, this whole thing about it being complicated, relationships are hard, they are fragile. And it really exposes that there is a, a real brokenness um, to relationships, there's real brokenness in the world. And why is that? Why is there this brokenness? Well, for us as Christians, we believe that the brokenness is there because because of our sin, because of the times when when we first were made and when when the whole this whole world was made, we were in relationship with God. But then sin came along, where we started to put ourselves over God, and then that brought this separation. You know, God being pure, God being perfect. There's no sin in him. There's no selfishness in him. So we were separate from God. And that led to this, uh, the relationship that we had being broken. But that wasn't God's intention. He's, he made us because he loves us. And so out of his love, he, he came up with a rescue plan. And that rescue plan was Jesus. Jesus came into, the, into this world to redeem that relationship that had been broken. Where we'd been separated from God. Because of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and rose again, it meant that we could redeem that relationship that we have with God. It's through Jesus that we can know God again. The relationship has been redeemed, what Jesus did. And then also we have a hope that it's been redeemed and it's been restored in part, but one day our relationship with God will be fully restored when we meet with him face to face in heaven. And we can live in that hope. We live in that hope right now. And this, this is the gospel message. This is what we believe as Christians. And it was this gospel message that Paul, uh, guy wrote most of the, um, the, the New Testament, was preaching to uh, a church in Corinth. Um, and we've been, as a church, we've been looking through uh, 1 Corinthians for the last, uh, last, well, it seems like last year now, I think. But, uh, but yeah, so just to give a bit of context, okay? One way of thinking about uh, the church in Corinth was Christians gone wild. Okay, in the first six chapters, we've got some pretty major things going on. Um, it starts off there's factions within the church. There's some people saying they're going, they're following Paul. Some people saying they're following Apollos. Some people saying they're following Christ. You know, people are people are all divided. There's dis- disunity within the church. There's there's men that are saying that they're believers, but they're still sleeping with prostitutes. It was the culture in in that city at the time. Uh, prostitution was was rife. And there's still uh, men in the church who were doing that. There was even a case of incest going on with members in the church. And in the surrounding culture, there was a very liberal view of sex. You know, sex was, was seen as something that uh, it's there to be enjoyed. You know, there's no boundaries to it. It's there to be enjoyed. And actually, it's just interesting to think, we're looking at Corinth 2,000 years ago, and yet you go into, I mean, who's been to the New Trinity recently? Uh, Victoria's Secret doesn't help blokes when you're walking past. Images of sex are everywhere. You go watch any film, 
There's images of sex there. Look at any magazine when you're on the shelves. Sex is everywhere in our culture. It's absolutely rife. And so something um, that was written 2,000 years ago has some real relevance uh, to us today. So it's, it's from this point that we're going to start looking at chapter 7. And uh, you'll see in the start, Paul's now going to address a specific issue that the church had raised with him. So we're going to read this together. If you've got a Bible, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, and I'll read it to us. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if you cannot control yourselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? From this passage, I want us to look at three key questions. Number one, should our relationship status define us? Number two, How should we as Christians view sex? And three, when relationships do go wrong, how do we deal with the brokenness? So to to look at what um, Paul's actually saying and put it into into a bit of context, um, what Paul's doing is is essentially walking a tightrope through loads of different contrasting views towards sex and towards relationships. So we have on the one side... And if you go to the next slide, we have on the one side, and I have to try and pronounce it right, asceticism. Okay, Asceticism, this is basically the, the thinking and the practice of abstaining from certain pleasures. So in this case, abstaining from sex to, um, to essentially be more enlightened, you know, to, to reach a more enlightened spiritual state. So that verse one way is saying it's good for um, a man not to have uh, sex with, with a woman is this particular view. There was people in the church that believed that abstaining from sex would lead to um, this enlightened state. Think back to what we said though about the context before that. There's a lot of people that have a very hedonistic view. And that was, that was the case for the culture around them. There's a very liberal 
free view towards sex, no boundaries to it. So you had these um, these real extremes from one side to the other going on within the church. Also, there's a lot of people in in that church that were placing a lot of emphasis on marriage. And, but and then all, Paul also um, is talking about singleness within this passage as well. So there's lots of contrasting views going on towards those. But let's just let's just look at each of those areas uh, in a little bit more detail. So first of all, to the aesthetics. No, that's wrong. Ascetics. Ascetics. Okay. So addressing the. I'm going to stop saying it. Right. Addressing those who thought sex was a bad thing. Okay. What does what does Paul actually say? What he very much saying is that thinking is wrong. You know, sex is good. Sex is a good thing, and it should be enjoyed in marriage. You look at verse three and four. Some really strong language being used there. Fulfill your marital duty. You do not have authority over your own body. Yield to your um, to your partner. Do not deprive each other. Basically, saying you know, sex is not something that you hold uh, withhold from the one that you're committed to, the one that you're married to. But on the other side, to the hedonistic view of things, to those who have had a very liberal view, he's basically saying, yeah, sex is good, but do it in marriage. You know, don't go and sleep with whoever you like. Sleep with the person that you're committed to, the one that you're the one that you're living with, the one that you're married to. So in verse 2, it says it's so clear, you know, um, with your own wife, with your own husband. That's that's where you should be having sex. Verse 9, it says, you know, if you're burning with passion, marry. You know, if you've got those desires for another person and you're together, get married. So it's very much saying that, yeah, sex is good, but it's certainly uh, for within marriage. Then goes on to, in verse 10 all the way through to 14, he addresses those that are married. Now, if you think about the context, there were those who um, that were married, they joined that church, they would have believed uh, in the gospel, but their partner probably didn't. And now there was, they were dealing with this tension. I believe in Jesus, I'm living this way, my partner isn't. Oh, therefore, I should divorce them because they're, they're not with me, they're, they don't believe what I believe. And he's saying, no, 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 don't do that. You know, don't divorce your partner. Don't separate from them because of that. Stay married. Stay with your partner. Goes on to say, um, even though they, you can't save them, you certainly, they can certainly be sanctified and made holy by staying in that relationship. It's the case of, though they might not believe it, they will certainly see the lifestyles. They'll certainly see... Um, some of the effects of what it's like to be a Christian by staying in that marriage. So don't certainly don't separate. But then finally, he, he doesn't overemphasize the, those who are thinking marriage is good. He also addresses those, um, in this case, those who are widowed. Later on in the chapter, he also addresses those that are single in, in verse 32. But he's basically saying, you know, it's good to, to not be married. You don't need to be married to be this great Christian. It's not like one of the the rules that you need to have. It's absolutely fine to be single. So in one fell swoop, Paul just kind of cuts through all these different views and stays true to what he believes and stays true to what he believes in Jesus. And so it's from that that I want to start and pick in some of those things. What do those what do those things mean for us today? So the first question we're going to look at should our relationship status define us? First point I want to make on this, and I'll be totally honest, I think as a church, 
we can sometimes very easily place an overemphasis on marriage. You know, we, we all cheered, like, as we should do for, for Olu, but sometimes, and his partner, by the way, <laughs> but so we, can, we can place this overemphasis on marriage. You know, as Christians, we do believe in marriage. It's something that God has given us. But yet there is this, this tendency to think that, you know, to be a good Christian, you need to be married. And, and Paul is saying that's very much not the case. And in fact, God, you know, God values you just as much as, uh, as a single person as he does if, you, if you're married. And Paul uses those words, you know, as I am. He wrote this himself to the, to the church when he was single. He's saying, be as I am, do as I do. And we just think of like Paul's example. You read about how he lives his life throughout the, gospel, um, throughout the, the book of Acts and through all the letters. What an example of someone who's seen his relationship with God as more important than his relationship status. So don't overemphasize marriage. Next point, seeing our status as a gift. As we said there, be as I am and do as I do. Um, as we, we don't have to be defined by our status. You know, it doesn't have to be um, the thing that uh, makes us who we are. And actually, regardless of what situation you're in, you are able to... Um, you're able to worship God in, in any context that you're in. So if you're single, you're able to live for God and, and glorify him through being single. You know, if you're, if you're married, you're able to glorify him and live for him uh, through an example in, in your marriage. Or whatever your status is, whether you're separated, whether you're widowed, whether you're divorced, you're able to, um, to be an example of, of God's gospel in, in your life. See it more as an opportunity, not as um, the thing that... that sort of defines you and holds you back. On that point, is our, is our status, is it enough? You know, for, for a lot of us, we get so wrapped up in our relationship status, it becomes part of who we are. You know, if we're with someone, we're doing great. If we're not with someone, we're not doing as great. It becomes part of our identity. And I want to say to you today, just read those words there from Matthew 6. You know, your father knows that you need these things. He knows your desires that you have in your heart. You know, he knows the passions. He knows the yearnings that you've got. He made you in that way. But it's encouragement. Seek him first. Trust in him first. Do not let um, your, your status define you. That verse there from 1 John 4. There's a, there's a fear you know, a lot of us can have this certain fear that as we get older, if we haven't found someone yet, then our life is, is going to be rubbish. It's going to be in ruins. But actually, if we, if we grasp how much God loves us, it drives out that fear. It doesn't matter how old you are and whether you've found someone or not. It doesn't matter. You know, God's perfect love drives out that fear. Secondly, how should we then as Christians view sex? You know, what's a, what's a healthy view of sex? And the first thing on this is to say that sex is very much for marriage and it, and it really defines marriage. You know, the, in the world's eyes, there's this sort of, I don't know how it came about, but it's like, before you're married, have loads of sex. When you get married, you're going to stop having sex. I don't know why that exists, but it's this, it's this, this train of thought. It's like, you have as much sex as you like, you get married, ah, oh, that's it, you're going to stop having sex. I don't know where it comes from, but that's what 
Um, that's what people believe. But I'm, that is really not the truth at all. You know, God himself made sex and he made it for what it is. He made it to be pleasurable. He made it for something that we that we enjoy. You know, read Songs of Solomon. It's it's a beautiful sort of love story of you know a man and woman having sex because of God um, God making them to do that. If you look at um, Genesis two verse twenty four, it says this: that is why that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. You know, if you look at those that language and take it literally, they're binding together. You know, man and woman, they're binding together. There's a oneness. They're coming together. And that's what we as Christians, that's that's why we see sex as such a precious thing. That's why we see sex as very much defining marriage. And that's why we see it so precious that we keep it for marriage. So that's the first bit about sex is for marriage. Secondly, if you go back to to the passage, you'll see that there's really... um, a real equality between the husband and the wife when it comes to sex. Now, for those who've been Christians for many years, there's, there's, you pick up on um, thoughts towards Paul that he's, he's sort of he's more male orientated, or, or there's more of a male dominance in, in his teaching. But this passage completely smashes that out of the water. He's very much saying that, that the husband and the wife, you're on a complete uh, equal playing field. You're, you're exactly the same in God's eyes. And you're exactly the same when it comes to sex. You know, the, the husband has a duty to his wife. The wife has a duty to her husband. The husband doesn't have authority over his body, nor does the wife. You know, there's a, there's a fulfillment there. There's no, there's no um, someone should be placing more emphasis on it than, than the other. We're completely equal when we view sex, both man and wife. Third point, sex, on, on that note really, sex should never be used um, for selfish gain. In verse 5 he says, do not deprive each other. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really important. You know, for those of us who are married, we should never see sex as something that we abuse. Like either we withhold it because we want something or whether we offer it, you know, as a, as a bribe. You know, like we'll have sex as long as you've done all the washing up. You know, that it shouldn't be used like that. Shouldn't be used for selfish gain. That doesn't happen, by the way. <laughs> but on that, there's this phrase that we say for for sex, which is "make love." For me, I think it should be "give love." You know that that is that is what sex is for. Sex is it's a physical expression of your love for your your spouse, and it's something that we give. You know, in the world size, sex is there to take, take, take. It's just there on a shelf. You can just take it. I click at a button. It's right there. That's not what sex was made for. Sex is a way of giving your love to your spouse. I think just on that as well, it's just I think it's really important to stress. This is not just for those who are married. You know, we're talking about sex within marriage and a way of giving love. But I think for for all of us, regardless of our situation, um. It's just a real encouragement to see it as a way of, of selflessly giving love. So for, for those of us who are single, it means laying that down and saying, actually, God, I'm choosing you. I see you as more satisfying, as full of, I get more joy from you if I put you first rather than if I just keep going to sex for selfish gain. And, and that attitude then t- takes you into marriage. 
So yeah, it's a way of giving love. Sex is to give love. Ephesians 5 verse 21, submit to one another. Submit to one another. And my last point on this. What do we do when relationships do go wrong? How how do we deal with the brokenness? Because as you know, when we when we're looking at those things earlier on, uh, and as we've been thinking about um, about relationships, they they can be some of the most painful things that we've had to go through. So how do, how do we deal with that? And uh, I just want to really speak some just some real biblical truth over you now that I just really hope that just resonates in your heart. It was just amazing that um, Hannah used the passage earlier on in Isaiah 61. And I'm just going to read it out again. First few verses. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. God is a healer. God can heal that brokenness. He binds up the brokenhearted. That's what he does. He comforts those who mourn. And when we deal with um, relationship breakdown what happens for so many of us is it then it gives us a real negative view of ourself we can then look at ourselves through a really tainted lens and think that we are really really bad or we're not worth anything and that's what God wants to heal you from you know he says there he bestows on you a crown I just want to read it exactly right. A crown of beauty instead of ashes. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. How much is self-image a massive issue for all of us? And yet, just think, the next time you go on a night out, or the next time you go into work, or the next time you go and meet, you go on a date, or whatever it is, instead of looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, do I look all right? I, mean, I was I was doing that myself before I came. You know, so I'm, I do it exactly just like everyone else. But I'm like, I can put on a crown of beauty. You know, I can put on a garment of praise because of who who I am in God. So God heals. God heals. Secondly, God redeems. When we've gone through that that breakdown, it's like a part of our life has been taken away. And that is the case for so many people. That's what it feels like. It's like a big chunk of my life has now just been ripped away from me. But God redeems that. It says in in Psalm 103, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. That is what God does. You know, where, where something's been taken from you, he comes and gives it back. Not only does he just give it you back a little bit, he gives it you back tenfold. You know, his love is so amazing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've um, done things right or done things wrong. He loves you that much. It's his grace that we've been saved. He redeems your life. And that's why I put there John 10.10. 10. It's hard to put it in this context. But we could, it, 
Jesus has come that then you can have life and you can have life to the full. Where something's been taken from you, where a part of your life has been ripped away from you, he comes back and says, you can have life to the full because I redeem your life. No matter what you've gone through, I redeem it. Not only more do I redeem it, but I give it to the full. So God redeems. And then finally, God restores. Psalm 51, restore the joy of your salvation. Let me read it. Yeah, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of knowing you, God. Of knowing I've been saved by you. I'm free from all this. I love this, this passage in Zephaniah 3. Let me just read this. Do not fear Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. That's what God is doing right now. Takes delight in every single one of you. And he's rejoicing over you with singing. He's singing over you right now. That's how much he loves you. He wants wants you to know joy. He wants you to know joy. You know, there's, there's this thought that you just you battle through life until we get to heaven. We just put up with all the rubbish. Life has to be really, really hard every single day. It must be really hard. It must be really hard. It must be really hard. Until we get to heaven, everything will be fine. You know, and there is some truth in that. Because we, we get it in part. But also we get joy in part. You know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be amazing. Because all the pain will have gone. All the suffering will have gone. But we can experience joy today. We can experience life today. We can experience God's love today. You can know that right now. He can restore the joy that you can have in knowing him. So I just want to summarize by just looking at those three three questions that, that we were looking at. Firstly, number one, we are not defined our relationship status. Though the world around us and what we see on Facebook and all that sort of stuff, I would say that we are defined by it, but that is not true. You know, our identity is in Jesus. Our identity is in Jesus. It says in um, Psalm 139, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your life has been saved and redeemed. You, you are set free. We're not defined by our relationship status. Secondly, a healthy view of sex See it as a means of giving love and see it as being so precious that is we keep it for marriage. And for those of us who, who aren't married yet, you know, you can do that to God. You can say, I'm giving love to you, God, by laying this down, by saying, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to continue being selfish and just keeping taking this desire when I want it. I'm going to give it to you. And finally, how do we deal with that brokenness? Know that God heals. Know that God redeems. Know that God restores. You can know joy. You can know life to the full. Yeah, let me pray and then we'll respond in worship. Father, I do pray that just by your Holy Spirit right now, Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. It's the way that we're able to meet with you, 
now, Lord Jesus. And I do pray that you pour out your spirit onto each and every one of us right now. Lord, I pray for those that feel broken, those that feel pain, those that feel hurt. I pray that your love will wash over them right now in the name of Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. I pray they'll be able to hear you singing over them with great delight because you love them so much. Lord Jesus, thank you, Lord. We're not defined by how the world sees us. We're not defined by our relationship status. We're defined by who we are in you, Christ. And that is saved and redeemed. That is set free. Lord Jesus. Praise your name. Amen. Thank you.